0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Dayton, Ohio, it's time for Dayton Business Radio. Now here's your host.
1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Dayton Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have Scott McGowan, and he is with McGowan Bray Bender. Welcome, Scott.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Lee. I appreciate it.
1: Well, we're here to talk about uh, your work uh, on your day job, but we're also here to talk about a new book you have. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so uh, with, uh, I've been with McGowan Braybender for, gosh, I think 32 years now. Culture's always been really important uh, uh, to me, and I've maybe kind of learned the hard way, the value of it. And so the title of the book is Culture is an Inside Job.
1: So now a culture is an inside job, but is that talking about uh, working on the kind of culture first, maybe even more importantly than what the business does?
0: Yeah. You know, I think a lot of organizations, um, you know, especially as I talk to other leaders and entrepreneurs, you know, they, you know, they want a culture that they might see on the outside. So a different, whether it be a brand or an image or a thought or a mindset. And I've learned over time that from a leadership perspective, uh, the culture of the organization is normally the inside character virtue of the of the leaders inside of the organization, and so the mindset is really traveling people through their strong beliefs internally, uh, and then can we can we bring that out and bring that to life inside of the organization? Otherwise. If you say things like, you know, we're a caring organization and, and you don't care about people, then it just comes off as fake. And unfortunately, it just comes off as a big, gigantic lie.
1: Now, um, in my experience, culture and branding, I'm a marketing person, so I look at everything through a marketing lens. So marketing uh, and branding is something that you're doing without whether you think you're doing it or not, like it's happening around you. And I would imagine culture is the same thing. There's going to be a culture if you're not mindful and not really putting attention to it and, and being strategic about it, a culture is going to form whether you want to or not.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it exists uh, whether it's good or bad. Uh, And, and, you know, the important people, uh, the important thing is the fact that, uh, you know, people, people aspire to be part of a story and they want to be in the next chapter and a culture is, is quite frankly, in my opinion, is really telling a, a beautiful story internally to your workforce, uh, which should tra- transfer externally in regards to a brand and marketing externally to, uh, to customers, regardless of what business
1: you're in. But how does it work in terms of, okay, I can understand the startup and you're brand new and it's all exists. I mean, it doesn't exist. It's blank sheet of paper. So you go, okay, these are the things we stand for. This is what we want to happen. But a company, like you mentioned, your company has been around for decades. How do you kind of um, make that culture kind of part of the onboarding and it's just kind of part of the day-to-day life? Can you change, like a, if it's a toxic culture, can you change it or is there, are you kind of stuck with it?
0: No, I mean, you can absolutely change it. And, and it's a really good question, Lee, because I, I do believe that, you know, as, as society evolves, as generations evolve, as people evolve, so should a culture. And unfortunately, sometimes organizations keep their values um, chiseled in concrete and don't evolve with society and time, and they will change, and that's okay. Uh, and making sure that an organization is intentional about uh, a culture, and I'm a big believer in the five senses, so what we see, what we, uh, what we can touch, uh, what we taste in regards to compensation and rewards uh, and what we hear in, in the words. And then lastly, what we feel, uh, in our, in our, in our hearts. And, and I think a culture should, should manifest all five of those. It's just not the words that are painted on the wall. It's the words you hear. It's the things you see. Uh, and, and, and you know this, but you know, most people will figure out two things in an organization is what gets rewarded around here. And then second one is how do I get in trouble? And if those aren't clearly defined. Uh, then unfortunately it's a, it it can be a recipe for, uh, for disaster.
1: So do you have anything actionable our listeners can kind of latch onto and maybe uh, implement today or this week?
0: You know, probably for, uh, you know, for the listeners would be, uh, there's an exercise that I've done and I've actually done it. Aileron's been a great friend of mine for, for decades. And I probably wouldn't be the leader I am today without uh, the folks at Aileron, but there was an exercise that we would do during a culture class. In other words, what we would encourage people to do is just imagine, if you will, if you heard somebody uh, bring up your organization's name uh, and um, what would that stranger say about your, uh, your organization? What, what were the words that they, they would say? Uh, and then you have to be tr- pretty truthful and honest about that. And the honesty in that is can be beautiful because there's a gap between what people would say, whether they're inside your company as an employee Uh, or a customer versus what they would say versus what you want them to say. And that gap, in my opinion, is what you're trying to fill. So this is what they're seeing. This is what they're hearing. And this is what I want them to hear. And this is what I want them to say. And as leaders, what we're trying to do is fill that gap.
1: Now, um, you mentioned employees and you also mentioned customers. Uh, do you think that that's, is that what we all aspire to, where the culture is kind of uh, that, that both the customer and the employee sees us the same way They have that level of kind of authenticity and congruence?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my father, you know, probably 30 years ago said, look, there's one thing that will always be the same inside this organization and it hasn't changed. And, it, and by the grace of God, I hope it never does change, but it is to treat our employees the way we want our customers treated. Uh, and so if that behavior manifests itself internally uh, and they feel it with empathy and compassion uh, and energy, then what we're hopeful for is that we just transfers back to our customers and it feels like it feels like one instead of two separate uh, relationships it's one relationship
1: Now do you think that that kind of aspiration works best in in um, kind of service industries as opposed to uh, maybe a product industry like if you're if you're um kind of manufacturing and you're trying to be the low cost provider. Do you want your customers to feel that way?
0: You know, it's a good question. It's probably, you know, it's probably a mindset but you know, I do believe, uh, and I'll give you an example. I was at a manufacturer and and, and we walked back to shipping and the, org- and the organization was just kind of struggling with a culture and, you know, ultimately back in shipping, Unfortunately, you you had people back there that didn't care about what they were shipping and and who was going to open that box. Well, the customer is going to open the box. And so if the people packing the box don't care about what's in the box or how the box is packed, then the customer sees that as the fact that this organization doesn't care. So in my opinion, I don't care if you sell tires or if you're selling machinery or tool parts or you're an accountant, an attorney or a benefits broker. the importance of, of, of a culture and letting the customer know externally and internally the people, uh, I think it matters. I think and there could be some organizations that don't think it matters. And you know what? That's okay. That's the beauty of capitalism. I mean, it's your company. You can do what you want. I just have a strong opinion on uh, in, um, really lifting the workforce up uh, and making communities better. And making people feel welcome and warm and feel like they're inside of a transaction that matters.
1: Now, are there symptoms of maybe a not-so-great culture that you see?
0: Yeah, the greatest symptom is normally what I refer to as the destructive hero. So a destructive hero is normally that person in the organization that is uh, a really high performer, number one in sales or number one in, you know, has the largest customer base and gets away with murder. Um, And nobody wants to address the problem because the organization, whether it be their leaders, they're drunk on the revenue. And the whole workforce gets to watch this character walk around and behave against the culture of the organization. And I've seen it time and time and time and time again. And, um, that, you know, they're tough people to, uh, you know, to address and, uh, and to torque, But destructive heroes normally can be uh, the tipping point inside of any organization.
1: Can they typically be rehabilitated or is this something that you got to kind of get rid of it? Even yeah. It's you, painful?
0: you know, it depends. I mean, unfortunately, I was a destructive hero. So uh, I learned the hard way. About 18 years ago, my assistant walked in my office and said, you have values painted on the wall. You don't exhibit one of them. I have my own set of values and you torque them every day. Today's my last day. And uh, I was more afraid of what the workforce would think of me uh, with her leaving than I was actually uh, even concerned with her leaving. And at that point, I kind of realized that, you know, I might be a sick dude. Uh, And uh, I talked to her. I asked her if I hired a coach, would she give me a shot? And she said she would as long as uh, every day I went to uh, her office and we asked each other three questions. And those were, am I okay? Are you okay? Are we okay? And after, you know, a year of going through coaching and and really understanding the value of emotional intelligence and leadership, and uh, uh, I, I began to Uh, believe that there was more important things in life than the car you drove, the house you lived into, or the income that you earned. It had to do more with encouraging people, lifting people up, and being more of a servant. So um, uh, in my experience, uh, by the grace of God, they're redeemable because I was restored. But uh, in my experience, uh, the odds aren't very high. Um, I would think it's less than 10% of destructive heroes can be uh, restored. Give them a chance. Give them the truth, give them love, uh, and if they don't react to them, get them out as fast yeah. as you can.
1: Now, in your case, uh, this woman took a big risk uh, to be that vulnerable to you, to even care enough to tell you the why behind it. Um why do you think that that made an impact? Like what, what hit you so hard that, that you were able to kind of use that as a catalyst for change as opposed to just dismissing that as, okay, just moving on to the next person. I got this figured out.
0: You know, I, I'd like to give you a really virtuous answer um, because I, I, if I had to go back in time, I would probably say I, I was more afraid of my ego than anything else. Uh, and I, I wish it was more, the answer was more virtuous than that, but I don't think so. And that's okay. Uh, and you know, we're all humans and ego and pride is normally the biggest culprit of our, of our mistakes. And unfortunately back then, you know, I was probably, uh, you know, I was awake and I was, uh, you know, as they say in life, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will arrive. Uh, and she was my teacher. And, you know, the other thing, too, that's really special about Victoria, that's her name, is she's still with McGowan Brabender. Uh, she's still my assistant, and she is, uh, you know, just my best friend inside the organization. She is just, uh, she's my hero.
1: Now, um, how do you kind of, if you were coaching someone about culture, and um, it sounds like to really have this be kind of immersed into your soul and into the organization, there has to be a lot of vulnerability and trust. Um, That doesn't sound like something that can be said just because we say it like you have to kind of behave that way for a period of time for it to really kind of sink in. So how do you kind of help a, a, a business kind of be that vulnerable and create that level of trust?
0: Yeah, you know, it's like I'm a big believer in the rule of three. So a culture should do th- three things really well. Number one, it should aspire an organization to meet its vision and mission. Number two, it should allow a workforce to adapt to change. And number three is it should have, uh, allow people to thrive. Uh, and a- as long as you stay in those three lanes, and then probably the best gift or advice that I can give at organizations is go out and find uh, a group of people that are not afraid to be honest with you and ask them about the culture of the organization, you know, what they believe, and have them use verbs you know, and adjectives. Uh, and you'll get a really good idea if you get seven or eight different people that will start feeding you information back uh, around where the organization is today. And as a leadership team, and those eight people, and we've done it a number of times, uh, you can begin to pick and choose which words we are defined as of today and which words do we aspire to be. And I'm a big fan of getting some naysayers and bystanders and victims on that team as well. I mean, those people that are complicated, those people that are complicated, you know, sometimes can be great truth tellers, and they're not afraid. So you, you can't find people that look just like me, talk just like me, or, or sound just like me, you know, Try to get a diverse group of people to help you understand what your culture is today, to help you understand what you think your culture may move into or evolve into the future.
1: Now, right now, the country's going through a crisis or maybe multiple crises at the same time. Uh, you're in the benefits business. When there's kind of this kind of chaos going on, how does this help you uh, serve your team and your, your employees? Like kind of this having this true north?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, every organization, um, is always faulted against, um, um, uh, not communicating enough and, you know, through aileron and, and, and it, actually even through, you know, our, our business advisor, um, <clears throat> he, he had told me a long time ago, when, when you're tired of talking about something, you're probably halfway finished. So as a leader, um, you've just got to be in front of your workforce and just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and and over communicate. And I think what what I love about, uh, and obviously what we've gone through in regards to social injustice or with COVID-19, you know, this is new territory for us as leaders. uh, And and personally, silence is not an option. It's just not. Uh, And it's okay to say, I don't have the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and let the, the workforce know that, you know, you too are struggling to figure out what the next steps are going to be. Uh, and just be vulnerable and honest. And, uh, and you know, p- people people will rally behind you.
1: Now, um, how are you helping from the benefits side? How are you helping your clients kind of navigate the kind of nuts and bolts of their day-to-day business life? Um, how, how does your firm help?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we we serve about 1,200 employers, uh, Dayton, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Indianapolis uh, represents about 100,000 employees. And I like to say a quarter of a million belly buttons, moms, dads, kids, uh, and about, uh, about a billion and a half in healthcare spend. So when COVID-19 came, obviously there's just a lot of questions. So we built a MB COVID-19 response team uh, website two days after that announcement came out and we threw the, all the resources, whether it be, you know, the World Health Organization, the CDC, the state of Ohio, state of Indiana, carrier information, benefit questions, COBRA issues. We threw that all out, all those resources out for not only our customers, but also for the community at large, for all employers. Here's one single site resource center and uh, all, that, all of that information was updated uh, daily uh, and almost hour by hour. So employers were being bombarded with all these different uh, avenues of uh, communication. They were able to come into McGowan Braybender and look at our site and be able to at least take some small steps forward every single day.
1: Now, how do you kind of help your clients in terms of, uh, you know, it's great to have the information there, but what about, you know, the kind of the struggle that they're going through internally themselves? You know, because now you have, they have belly buttons uh, to serve, too. So how do um, how do you kind of proactively help them kind of get through this other than just being a resource?
0: Yeah, so we, we have some learning centers that uh, there are about 12 different classes that we have at McGill and Brabender. We've done those all virtually now. We're, you know, And we don't want to talk about benefits. I mean, it's what we do. And we're very proud of the work that we do. But we also want to help HR in a variety of different ways. So we've had a lot of emotional intelligence sessions. So helping people understand how does a workforce uh, deal with fear and anxiety. So especially when you're calling a workforce back uh, and, and the workforce is saying, well, you know, I'm not ready to come back or I'm afraid is how do you give people tools and resources to address fear? and to, to address uh, transition stages. So we've had those for human resources to reach out uh, to you know what does COVID-19 mean in regards to your benefit cost structure? We've had you know sessions in regards to strategies to help CFOs and CEOs understand the, the risk of COVID-19 and the financial impact to their organization. So just a variety of different communication paths for, for human resources, for employees and then for, uh, for C-suite executives as well.
1: And then um, what about kind of remote working? Because that was a big transition for a lot of folks.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, in regards to, uh, you know, what does that look like? Uh, You know, to be honest with you, we, you know, we probably had five or six people out of 280 that worked remotely. Uh, And, you know, we moved everybody out of this building March 16th, a week before the governor shut down the state and everybody went home and worked remote and, Eight o'clock in the morning, 97% of the workforce was on VPN and, 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 uh, and working, and it took our breath away. And I, and I think it's a good example for us, the fact that when you care about people before a crisis, then they will care about you inside of a crisis. And when you don't care about people before a crisis, uh, you got a lot of hard work in front of you. Uh, and so as we explore off into the future in regards to a remote work strategy, uh, you know it's it's certainly number one or number two in our on on our agenda and we're we're you know even our own strategy and calling our workforce back and what that looked like and the staging we're, we're supplying that information uh, to our customers you know if they want to if they want to understand what mcgowan brabenders uh, were doing we're, we're free to share all of that
1: information now do you see any silver linings anything that you kind of were forced to do during the crisis that you might be able to carry forward once the pandemic wanes
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely remote workforce. So, you know, definitely, you know, we've got five buildings, real estate, you know, do we need this much space? Uh, and, you know, I know folks in the office space and real estate are probably thinking, whoa, like, hey, we've got we to change our strategy. And, and they have, and they have adapted. So I think that's a silver lining. I think also the silver lining is the fact that, uh, you know, there was a lot of employers that were worried about remote because maybe it was trust, or maybe they felt like folks wouldn't be as effective or, or as efficient. Uh, quite frankly, um, I, I've learned over the last you know five months, uh, four months, the fact that it very likely our workforce may be more efficient working remotely than they are internally. Uh, and that's, we're really curious about that, and we're measuring that, and we're exploring what does a remote, you know, uh, strategy look like for McGowan Brabender off into the future.
1: So now, what is the sweet spot for the firms you serve? Is it, uh, do you specialize in certain industries, or are you uh, kind of uh, industry agnostic?
0: Yeah, they're across the board. I mean, it could be, um, you know, two guys in a shop fixing radiators to uh, health systems and uh, colleges uh, and uh, universities. So, Uh, You know, it's an organization that has an employee benefit platform that wants uh, relentless communication and strategy and uh, risk mitigation. Our vision is empowering business with solutions um, so they can go back to doing what they really love to do, and that's grow their company. Empowering people with choices. uh, And then if both of those align and they come together, then what we get to do is what we love to do, and that is to empower healthier living or deliver healthier birthdays to people.
1: Now, um, it, what is the pain that your new client is having? I would imagine that they're switching from one provider to you. Um, what is kind of frustrating them where they're at now where it's worth giving you guys a call? You
0: no, know, it's probably, well, one is there, you know, there was a lot of people in our industry that just went and hit under a rock uh, and didn't lean into the problem uh, because maybe they felt like, uh, they could be like everyone else. And, you know, great organizations during a crisis will lean into a, into a crisis uh, and step out. Uh, and so I think organizations that uh, have maybe not been taken care of during the crisis are saying, hey, look, we, it's uh, very obvious that, you know, we had some folks that didn't have the resources or the capacity. And quite frankly, maybe not even the courage to uh, to address really big, complicated issues. But you know our industry, like any industry, um, you know, uh, especially in the service world, uh, it's a world full of bags of promises that are thrown on people's desks. And so, um, you know, some people are doubtful in regards to the bag of promises. And so, what we have to do is to make sure that we keep every promise that that uh, that we keep. And we love the fact that we don't have our customers sign contracts. We have to earn their business every single day. Uh, and it's been like that for uh, almost 50 years, and hopefully it'll be the same way for the next 50.
1: So if somebody wanted to learn more about your firm, uh, have more substantive conversation with somebody on your team, what's the website?
0: Yeah, Uh and they can go there and find out about all our uh, resources. Uh, we've had done, uh, plus we have a, uh, w- we have a studio in, inside of MB, so we have a lot of stories and videos. Uh, and so if you're a reader, there's a lot of content. If you're a listener uh, there and uh, kind of a watcher, there's a lot of video content that kind of tells the story of Miguel and Brabender and what we're about and what we care about.
1: Now, if somebody wanted to get a hold of the book, Culture is an Inside Job, where can they find that? got it on the website as well?
0: No, no, actually, I am right in the midst of finding uh, a publisher. So uh, I am, I've got it uh, edited, it's ready to go and I've got a couple of people that are giving me advice. So uh, hopefully it'll be out by the end of the year.
1: So uh, are you going through a traditional publisher? Or are you considering self-publishing?
0: You know, it's 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 probably 50-50. Uh, and if you've got any advice from me, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open.
1: Yeah, I think uh, ultimately if the marketing is going to be on you either way. So it doesn't matter from that standpoint. Um, but if you have a good resource that can do the editing and publishing, then you have more control over how fast it gets out there.
0: Yeah. Well, good. Wow. I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right, Scott. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And one more time, the website for our listeners.
0: M C G O H A N B R A B E N D E R. M-C-G-O-H-A-N-B-R-A-B-E-N-D-E-R.com. I wish it was shorter. (laughs) (laughs)
1: All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. You're doing important work and we appreciate you.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Dayton Business Radio.